Bitcoin, crypto bubbles, passive indexation. There's a lot of financial jargon out there. Old Mutual can help you make sense of it all and give you great advice to make the right decisions. If you've got a question or want to know how to get the most out of your money, call them on 0860 60 60 60 or speak to an old mutual financial advisor or your broker. Today's the day. Get great financial advice so you can do great things. Old Mutual is a licensed financial services provider. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702, your number one news and talk station. The Money Show brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. Welcome to The Money Show. I'd like to know from you and our fast fact on this Monday evening, which companies bought a firm that sells second-hand luxury watches? There's a company that's bought another company. That company, the smaller one, uh, sells second-hand luxury watches. What is the name of the acquirer? Um, you can send that on 31702 and 31567 here on the money show nine minutes past six on this monday night a big story today kpmg is not talking about it publicly not as yet anyway but uh, so to leave a lot up to your own imagination as to what's really going on at head office but kpmg slashing jobs it's already seen a huge amount of attrition with rivals poaching teams of professionals many with offers have snapped up those offers and have bailed on kpmg but it says it's going to cut 400 more people it's closing several regional offices as a result of the scandals which have seen it lose fistfuls of clients. It's keeping offices in Justin, Joburg, Cape Town, Durban and Port Elizabeth and it's going to be closing its offices in Mbombela, Blum, Polokwane and East London and that's going to result in the layoffs. Uh, KPMG International parachuting some executives into KPMG South Africa's boardroom to try and prevent further value destruction but yeah, what uh, a tragic day for 400 more people within KPMG who are being told uh, today and this evening that uh, who and has and does not have a job. The acting SARS commissioner, Mark Kingan, joining us, um, changing some things to do with the way in which you do your taxes. It's an important uh, conversation to listen to as uh, we head towards tax season, and there are multiple tax seasons in South Africa, of course. Many people get very confused with uh, what is required and when it's required. Chris Van Amadva, the chief executive, the founder of Stadio, he's the guy who founded Curo. He joins us after half past six this evening, talking all about their plans to build a brand new business university it looks like they're calling it a multiversity but i haven't really got my head around that one yet and jandra naidu the chairman of steinoff africa retail he quit the board of steinoff earlier this year steinoff africa retail desperately backpedals as far away from steinoff as it can possibly get even though steinoff still retains of course a 77 percent shareholding in Steinoff Africa Retail. All of that is coming up on tonight's Money Show Plus. Auntie Kate is in at half past seven. Kate Turkington, she is an extra, a traveller extraordinaire. She's had such a colourful life. Um, and I've been reading her book and it's marvellous and she's going to tell us her thoughts about money. She doesn't talk about money in her book, not much anyway, other than not having very much of it when she was young and now travelling at other people's expense, of course. So I'm looking forward to Auntie Kate at half past seven. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield. The acting SARS commissioner is Mark Kingan on the line to us from Pretoria this evening. You're shortening the tax season, Mark. Why? Well, there's a number of reasons, Bruce. Um, One of the key reasons is obviously uh, to ensure that we are utilizing our time in the period of filing season most efficiently, both for us and the taxpayer. Uh, Previously, we have quite a lull 
in the filing season, after about two and a half months into the filing season, we see a huge drop-off. And then obviously there's a huge peak as we head to the end of November because South Africa likes to leave things to the last minute. And that leads to complications because then we're asking for supporting docs and all the others as people are going on leave. And that's got its own complications as we go into December. All right, so you're going to make it shorter. Which bit do you cut off? Do you cut off a bit off the beginning or a bit off the end? How's this going? Well, work? we'd love to have brought it forward, actually, and given the same period of time, but it's not feasible given that uh, there are some still uh, third-party data providers who haven't fully complied already. Uh, we are cutting it off at the end, so it's 18 business days off at the end, uh, which is in November. But just remember, Bruce, provisional taxpayers who file electronically, there's no change at all for that. And that's the very important thing. That's still 31 uh, January 2019. So there's absolutely no change. We're only talking people who file at our branches, whether it be provisional or or non-provisional or e-filing non-provisional. So that's what we're talking about here. Um, And I suppose tax practitioners, you say you have spoken to tax practitioners about this. They must have their knickers in a twist because they've got to get their clients to comply earlier than previously because I'm assuming they're the ones who bear the real brunt of the the last-minute deadline chases. 100%. 100%. But, uh, you know, a lot of more complex taxpayers are provisional taxpayers, so there's no change there, uh, very importantly. But there are some tweaks, Bruce, that we're making, and, and we have engaged the practitioners. Yes, they did raise a number of concerns with us. But we, we, for instance, this year, we're going to be looking at where there's a specific item that we are identifying a risk on. We're going to give a specific letter where there's a single item. You know, we used to issue these what we call generic letters where we ask for everything, like a shotgun approach. We this time are going to be very precise in asking what exactly do we want from you if there is a single risk. And we believe that will assist the practitioners and taxpayers in only having to provide that single document uh, to us. But most importantly, Bruce, what we are doing this year, you know, many people complain they get stopped year after year after year. There's no difference year after year. We have built in some intelligence into the system this year. If for more than two years you have a risk identified, for instance, let's say it's an RA uh, that differs year on year, and it's within the ballpark as previous years. We will not stop it for in, in those cases. So we believe we will be improving the service this, this coming year. Okay, good news on that particular front. Um, when it comes to people filing tax returns, one of the observations that you made at your media briefing earlier today is lots and lots of people, in the terms of tens if not hundreds of thousands of people who don't need to file tax returns are filing tax returns. And on the one hand, you should be grateful for this because they're in the net. Um, but why does it become a problem for you? Well, it's the volume. Um, for these people in the past financial, uh, past filing season, we had 733,000 of them that filed returns where there was no result. In other words, they owed us nothing and we owed them nothing. Um, and we want to find a way. And, and Bruce, we've got an interesting innovation coming forward, this, uh, which we are testing this year. Uh, we will not run it out. We're just checking the data. But we're going to pre-assess a whole group of people this year and validate the data so that hopefully next year we can issue assessments in advance of the filing season starting to this group of people uh, that they can get an assessment without filing and just have to file if they want to challenge or want to do something that was auto-assessed on.
Uh, Mark, I'm not sure if you could stand on your desk or on the chair. I don't want the SARS commissioner falling on his head, but um, your cell phone signal is being a little bit um, ropey this evening. There are a large number of people, you say, who registered for e-filing who are still visiting branches unnecessarily. Now, I've got to challenge what most people will be saying, is that that's because the call centre doesn't help, and they get frustrated dealing with the call centre, so they, or they're told to go to a branch and queue there. I can't imagine people enjoy standing in queues to ask questions about tax. So is there a plan to up the call centre? I think the whole time we're trying to upgrade our skills. And, you know, Bruce, I've always been a person who will acknowledge that we are not perfect. Uh, there are many things uh, that we, we do not do optimally. Uh, but we do believe that our call center agents, specifically with help you e-file, should be able to assist uh, people to file more effectively. Uh, I am engaging with the teams uh, to ensure they are upskilled the whole time. But we had 868,000 uh, e-filing registered people visiting our branches last year. Now, that goes to the heart of the problem. Um, we need to find a way that they have the courage and the trust in terms of doing it themselves. And maybe it's part of our educational material and, and the fear that is there about our organization, that people are scared to make a mistake. We need to, uh, to, 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 to educate far more, I think, in getting people to do it themselves. The consequences though, of making a mistake are massively punitive. I mean, you, you guys don't have a reputation for being warm and fuzzy when somebody makes a mistake and you, you say, no, yeah, we, we, you can come pay now, argue later. You, you've made a mistake, hey, Bruce, you must pay. Bruce, Bruce, I'm always warm and fuzzy, man. Uh, you you might no, be, but I'm afraid uh, many people's experience of your organization is not warm no, and fuzzy. Look, and that's why you've but, got but, these cues. Sure. One of the challenges is obviously in dealing with, with these mistakes, and, and many people do make bona fide errors. We do not seek to penalize when there's a bona fide error that is made by a taxpayer, and you will very rarely find that. But, for instance, when a person year on year under the case is interest, we have to start taking certain steps uh, to ensure that they declare it accurately. Um, and uh, yes, we have to do that. But at the same stage, if a person makes a mistake and they claim a Canada tablet, which was not dispensed by a doctor, we're not going to take a hard line in terms of that. Obviously, if it's maliciously done with intent to defraud, we have to do do something. Um, and then final question, I, I did say to people, um, if you've got any questions for Mark King, and please send your questions through. And guess what the most commonly asked question is? Why do refunds take so long? Um, are you dealing with that? <laughs> we are dealing with that. And, and obviously, Bruce, I think we've been on your show a number of times in the last couple of years. The Ombud did issue a report. And a, a number of the Ombud's uh, findings, and one of the specific ones where we hold a refund for a previous year, um, where we're busy at an audit on the current year, we have rectified that. And from the beginning of filing season, that will be dealt with. But Bruce, that just reminds me one thing which I do need to inform people. We are going to be giving priority this year to the filing of returns for the current year. So we find many, many thousands of returns, people coming in for previous years. While we welcome people wanting to be compliant, they will be uh, lesser prioritised in terms of the process and, and uh, the work that we do. Okay, so I mean, if you if you do have an outstanding tax return from five years ago and SARS has said, please file your return, they also they don't use that as an excuse for not doing this year's return. This year's return is almost more important than the one five years ago, although well, you are going to be lent on heavily. Bruce. 
All are, <laughs> are important, Bruce. But what we find is a lot of our fraud is happening with people filing multiple returns, specifically in the uh, uh, below the 350,000 rand uh, tranche, where they suddenly file a whole lot of returns with small amounts, which are fictitious amounts to be claimed. And are you catching them, Mark? I mean, these, these are the guys who are tying you up in knots and wasting an awful lot of your time and everyone's time. Well, it complicates the whole process for all of us. Yes, we are, Bruce. We are catching them. You cannot catch everybody, though. And each time you move something, they pick it up that you moved it and they move the gold posts again. And we have to be on our toes and we need to be far more alert in terms of getting on top of the fraud that does happen. You're suggesting there's syndicates involved in this? I strongly believe there are syndicates. We have seen when when a gap is identified, we see it streaming in from various sources, uh, targeting uh, gaps in terms of the system that they might be or might not be. Interesting stuff. Mark Kingan, thank you very much. The Acting Commissioner at SARS, Mark Kingan, just shortening the tax season, getting you to focus a little bit more intently. What they noticed is that most people comply with tax season and want the quick refunds and want to just get the job over and done with. And so most people in that first week file their tax returns and then it drops off dramatically. And then in the last week, there's this mad panic rush of, oh, I'm not compliant. And people then sort of just shorten the period and get the mad panic done and dusted. The Money Show on 702. Your number one news and talk station. Okay, here are the rules. When I say to you at the beginning of the show, I've got the SARS commissioner coming on, send your questions early. At 20 past six, you start sending through questions, and I just can't put them to the SARS commissioner, so I'm terribly sorry. I haven't managed to do that. Of the ones that have come through, and there are many that are lovely, the most interesting, however, is this one. And if you are a tax practitioner and you can answer this question, I'd be really grateful if you did. Uh, My employer was deducting tax and not paying it over to SARS. I reported this in 2014, and to date have heard nothing. How do I get justice? Uh, As far as I understand, Understand it. SARS comes after you for the tax because the money may have been deducted from your account and you were therefore defrauded as has SARS been. But SARS says, well, you earned that money. You, it's your responsibility to ensure the tax is paid. That's my understanding of it. Certainly a company I worked for 20 years ago. Um, some of us saw the writing on the wall and disappeared. Um, some other people stuck around and got nailed on this particular point. I don't know if the rules have changed over time. If you're a tax practitioner, 011-883-0702-021-446-0567, please. The Money Show. The Markets. So today's fast fact question, Peter Brook, is who has bought a company that sells luxury second-hand watches? That I actually read about. Um, <laughs> so that's Richemont. It is Richemont, absolutely right. Now, this is clever because it means that they sell you the new watch and somebody gets tired of the watch or dies and the kids don't want it. So they put it up for sale at a place called watchfinder.co.uk. It's a chain with seven stores in the UK, got quite a strong online presence. And Watchfinder, uh, Watchfinder focuses on the second hand of high-end watches that are sold by Richemont. Richemont not only owns the new watches and the, and the channel to sell those, but also ensures that they're not too many second-hand ones lying about now, I suppose. There's actually quite a lot going on there because we had the De Beers where they're selling cheaper diamonds. or The manufactured um, diamonds. Now yeah. you've got Richemont, who's one of the biggest luxury watch manufacturers in the world, moving into the second-hand market. It's all about, I think, controlling your channel through time. And if you're going to create a high price point, you need to protect that price point. Mm-hmm. So that's useful. But it's also about the shift online. So... With Ux and Etta Porter, this is a big push from them. And I think strategically you're seeing a shift in the direction of the business. So this week they also exited one of their peripheral um, accessory businesses. It's a leather, which ha- it's a leather goods business Correct, I didn't recognize. Yeah. hadn't really been making any money. And, 
but it's it feels like they're on the right path as a company towards getting incrementally better. So if you wanted to get a, a Richemont manufactured watch at second-hand price, you better do it quickly because my, my sense is that they want to control the market more actively than they have been up until now. Sirius is a property company, a German property company? That's right. It was the only result today. And um, it's actually, look, I've got to be a little bit careful and declare my interest. We bought a lot of their shares a couple of years ago and okay. have done very well on it, so are quite favorably disposed to it. Um, but what I like about the story is... You know, too many of our companies in South Africa on the property side, they're in the business of buying up properties, leveraging them up, but they're not actually adding value to the property. This company buys low-quality property, chops it up into boxes, gets their gets occupancies up, um, gets the rents up, and they've delivered very strong growth, and they've done that consistently over time. So in Germany, they've produced a 6% increase in their rental income, sure. which is phenomenal in a country with basically no inflation. Yeah. No, well, okay, so Sirius uh, certainly does well, and the results were good. They reflected that? Absolutely. Um, Stadio, this is such an exciting story because this is about the privatization of education. We've seen it happen in South Africa's schooling system and an opportunity that Chris Van Amerva, the founder of Curo, has seen, listed last year on the JSE, a new company called Stadio. It's bought up a couple of existing businesses, Mill Park, I think, and others. Today, they say they're going to be breaking ground on new territory in Belleville, uh, building, a, I think it looks like a business school there. So the fascinating thing about this one is it's up 17% on the announcement. Yeah. So this is a company that's moved between 8 Rand at the beginning of the year down to 4 Rand and has now gone to 4 Rand 60. <laughs> it just shows you how hard it is for the market to value blue sky. This is an unknown entity. So because Curo was a su- success, any sort of news flow is assumed to be a success. So I, look, I think long term is a very exciting space to be in if they can get the right model. They'll do very well. I think it's going to be a long, hard journey, and perhaps going up 17% on the back of buying some land is a bit optimistic. You say they've got trouble working out what blue sky opportunities are. This is a green fields opportunity. There is nothing there. We're talking to Chris Fadamarva, the chief executive of Stadio, in the next 12 minutes or so. And then Sign of Africa Retail, we had uh, the uh, the former, well, the founder of Techie Town in studio last week saying that he'd been stabbed in the back by people he you know, was uh, in business with at Sign of Africa Retail that removed him as the chairman of their property fund. And he was feeling very hard done by Bram van Hastien. Tonight we've got Jayendra Naidu coming on. Uh, Bram van Hastien made sure they got a summons uh, delivered to them today for, I think, unfair treatment. This will be one that is going to take a while to play out. We actually spent a lot of time with management last week because it's one of the key risks, and which is holding back Steinhoff Africa Retail or Star's share price is the unknown in terms of do they have any of these other liabilities. Now, Techie Town is relatively small within the group, so... But I think it's around the owner trying to get his asset back. The interesting thing is, what sort of paperwork do you need to have? What sort of legal documents? Um, so if you've got an agreement, was that a verbal agreement with Marcus Juster, or was that something signed by star directors? Well, we don't know that. We'll ask Andrew and I do that question this evening when we chat to him just after 7 o'clock tonight. Peter Brook with the Old Mutual Investment Group is tonight's market commentator on a day with the JSE. had a stonking session. It was up uh, nice and strongly. The market was up 588 points, more than a percent stronger. Everything with the South Africa PTY Limited uh, stamp on it went up today. It's fascinating. The market's just going back and forth in terms of... I was writing my monthly commentary 
Last month, the market was down five. The previous month, it was up five. It's quite schizophrenic. I think what we mustn't lose sight of, though, is what is happening to the fundamentals. Are the fundamentals of the country getting incrementally better? And if I look at what we've been doing in terms of structural reform, the answer is clearly yes. Peter Brock with the Old Mutual Investment Group tonight's market commentator. The Money Show is brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. I had a question earlier from somebody who said their employer was deducting tax and not paying it over to SARS. This has been reported. They don't know what to do. And Nikki Kennedy, thank you for your SMS this evening from NK Accounting Services, saying I'm a tax practitioner. It's a very difficult situation. You're right, Nikki, it is. Um, so Nikki says that they've been able to sort out queries with SARS where employers have deducted PAYE and have not paid over to SARS or did not submit IRP5 certificates. Now, provide as much information and as much supporting documentation as possible, such as your employment contract stipulating remuneration payslips showing gross income and PAYE deducted bank statements showing net salaries received and she says that is likely to help that's certainly what has worked for Nikki Kennedy and for her clients thank you for that SMS coming through this evening here on the money show on the next money show we're looking at inner city tours the turnaround of Hillbrow we went on a walking tour there the other day with Nicholas Bauer you know him from TV and Michael Luptak they call him Loopy the co-founders of Lala and Jair, and their mission in life is to change people's perceptions of the inner city and the Hillbrow area in particular. Looking forward to revisiting that space in studio tomorrow on the next Money Show. Then Andy Rice with Heroes and Zeros will also wrap up and analyze all the big money stories of the day. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield. What's the saying? Slowly, slowly, then suddenly. It certainly appears to be the strategy of Stadio, which has made some acquisitions since it was spun off from Curo, creating a new listing for tertiary education. The founder and chief executive is Chris Fundamarva. 18% leap in the share price of Stadio today, which has seen its value whittle down from about 8 rand to 4 rand and today to 4 rand 60. Um, this is your first campus development, your first tertiary campus development, Chris Fundamarva. Uh, yes, uh, Bruce, good evening and also to the listeners and thanks for the opportunity. Uh, Bruce, uh, we've uh, actually constructed three already, one in Musgrave in KwaZulu-Natal, one in Waterfall and one in Montana, but these are only uh, faculties of education. So this greenfield is actually a fully-fledged uh, campus uh, which will over time accommodate all the campuses that you will naturally find uh, on the campus of a public university. Uh, now, this is 7.8 hectares. It's about eight rugby fields of land bought in Durbanville to build what exactly? I mean, is this a multi-story car park topped with, with, with lecture theatres? What, what's this thing look like? Uh, it's a very functional campus. Uh, and if you allow me some time, let's tell the listeners uh, which faculties they can expect on the campus. So they can expect a school of education, a school of business and commerce, a school of natural and life sciences, a school of agriculture and nature conservation, a school of engineering and manufacturing, a school of health and medical sciences, a school of information technology, a school of architecture and the built environment, a school of the creative economy, and last but not least, a school of law and security studies. Now, obviously, we've learned a lot of lessons when we constructed Kiro schools, so expect a very, very functional campus. A functional campus means what? A little bit austere and just a very practical sort of place. Uh, lots of face brick and, and, and not sort of the warmth of a traditional old-style university campus. I think those days are probably gone. 
So there's definitely a paradigm shift amongst the millennials to rather enjoy what we call asynchronous methodologies. Now that means you've got to combine contact learning with blended learning. So if a prof stands in a class uh, and actually, uh, you know, presents his or her lesson, then the student can either be in, uh, in, in, in one lecture room or receive um, the lesson over a tablet or there can be a collaborative group sitting in a coffee shop and uh, and viewing the lesson. So uh, we are thinking very, very diligently in making this suitable for the lifestyle of youngsters. I mean, fine. I mean, I, I remember people turning up to the early morning lectures at university, sometimes in their pajamas. I mean, these were the dedicated students. Now, literally, people can quite happily stay at home in their pajamas and go to university. They can, Bruce, but remember, there's a lot of... Uh, skills that you can actually only develop. For instance, if you school engineers, you need a laboratory, so you can't exactly do that in okay. that in the blended. No, the uh, the, the, the engineers. I'm talking about art students. I mean, engineers never went to university, never went to classes in their pajamas. They weren't creative <laughs> enough. Um, no, no. <laughs> now, Chris, tell me about this. You're calling it a multiversity. I mean, that's a very trendy name. Is that your way of getting around the restrictions that government puts on you that you can't call a tertiary institution a university because only they can call universities universities? You have to call them colleges and places of higher learning. So multiversity, does that get over that hurdle? Nope. Um, the reason for the terminology multiversity is to uh, portray the message that over time, as I said this morning in the AGM, we believe that we will accommodate 100,000 students. Now, a typical university is normally fined on one residence, whilst a multiversity can deliver its product either in, one, in, 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 in several buildings. So you can have, let's say, two faculties in one building in the middle of Johannesburg, or you can have a campus in the Midrand, Midrand uh, you know, accommodating three or four faculties, or as the case is in this new one that we accommodated this morning, you can have all the faculties on one campus. So we are undoubtedly going to go for a footprint in all the provinces. From there, the name multiversity, which means we offer learning in several places. Very good. And then you refer to this education as a product. And now this is an important one because who's going to say whether or not your engineers can build the next uh, generation of bridges, whether your lawyers can defend the next generation of suspects, whether or not your agricultural specialists will plant the next generation of crops. I mean, uh, how, how are you going to ensure that the standard here beats the current standards within public universities? Now, our parents must understand, and it's interesting, Bruce, it seems to me that the message hasn't come through yet, but our, our degrees in terms of its written curricula are accredited by the CHE, the Council for Higher Education. Now, that same council accredits the degrees that you will find at WITS or the University of Cape Town, etc. So it's the same assessment standards that apply for both the public sphere and the private sphere. When are you opening your doors at your multiversity in Belleville? We're heading to open it on the 10th of February 2021, and if everything goes smooth, we will start with our civil works next year. 
Okay, so Civil Works get underway next year. That's a big build project that you're engaging on there. Um, and the appetite for private tertiary education, I mean, you saw this opportunity during the Fees Must Fall campaign. Of course, that was the time that you launched Stadio and you said this is the next private schooling opportunity for South Africa. Uh, you and many other private schooling businesses have proven that there are people willing to take themselves out of a public uh, system and, and fund their educations with after-tax money. You've proven that model works. Um, how big is the market going to be in uh, tertiary private education, do you think? Bruce, so you've, you've got to understand that our passion is to widen access. So we see ourselves once again, as is in the case of Kiro, as um, supplementing or complementing the state. Now, if you take a look at our public universities, they currently, the 26 university, universities carry about 1,4 million students, whilst they are restricted in terms of a, a lack of infrastructure. So what I'm saying is a lot of them are very full. They are also limited in terms of the state can only provide so many um, subsidies. Now, if you take a look at the National Development Plan's expectations for 2030, according to the aim for tertiary education in South Africa, we need at least 1.6 million students, uh, you know, to be in the tertiary space. So a huge market for us as only 160,000 students currently find themselves in the private space. Chris van der Marwe, the Stadio Chief Executive of the Lion Trust from Cape Town this evening, where he's just bought uh, the space equivalent to about eight rugby fields in Belleville, where he plans to build a multiversity. The Money Show. Stock Pick Monday. Stock Pick Monday this evening. Chantel Marks, who is the Head of Research at FNB Wealth and Investments, is our stock picker this evening on the line to us from Johannesburg. Your first one this evening is one we haven't had for a while, and that is... Is Bidvest, not Bidcorp, but the South African business of Bidvest, the old Bidvest? Why that, Chantal Marks? Yeah, so, I mean, SA Inc. stocks have been heavily sold off over the, over the last month after rallying strongly post uh, the, the December elective conference. And it seems a little bit overdone at the moment. Um, it was probably in part due to the fading of a four-year trade, but mostly due to risk off conditions globally. And, I mean, if you look at Bitvest, it is so geared to the South African economy. It does literally everything for everyone in South Africa. I mean, you can just go around your office building and you can see security, printing, probably watering plants is being done by, by Bitvest. Um, so that share price was down 18% last month. But if you believe in the medium-term macroeconomic recovery and maybe even structural change in South Africa longer term, um, this is really the one to, to get involved with. Uh, we also see them disposing out of some, disposing some of their associated, their associated assets like Adcock Ingram and Comair, and that could also provide some, some value unlock. Are you, guys, you see them getting rid of Adcock and Comair? Yeah, I mean, they have been speaking about these non-core assets and what they are looking and that they are planning to do something with them. Um, we are hoping that a disposal is on the cards because I think that will probably be best for just kind of focusing management on, on the long-term strategy of the main business, which is services. Uh, and then your next one, AVI, expensive shoes and crunchy biscuits. <laughs> yeah, baker's biscuits. Everyone loves a baker's biscuit. Um, so, I mean, it kind of gets lumped in with the rest of the food producers. And, I mean, over the last few months, they've really had a sore time. I mean, we had Listeria um, 
uh, impacting Tiger Brands and RCL Foods. We also had a fall in grain numbers, so everyone who was selling bread or maize meal was impacted. Um, and then Tiger Brands specifically mentioning pest numbers that haven't been particularly good, um, less cockroaches in the world, it seems. But AVI isn't exposed to any of that stuff. I mean, no processed meats, uh, no grain exposure, and no um, and and. I mean, they don't own Doom or Target. So, I mean, if you're looking at at a company that is also exposed to to an improvement in the South African consumer space, this is a really nice company because not only branded kind of snacks and beverages, um, but also those that shoe business, Spitz and, and Green Cross. South Africans do love their expensive shoes, and re- this really is an interesting way way to play that. And then they say angels go where well, fools go where angels fear to tread. Let's get my fools and angels in the right order. Liberty Two Degrees. It's a property stock in the South African property sector, which has been uh, given, uh, been beaten six love in the last uh, in the last couple of months. Why? Why is Liberty Two Degrees on your radar? Yeah, I mean, so they used to have an exceptionally complex uh, shareholder structure and just general management structure, but they've internalized their asset manager. Um, they, they're converting into a REIT, and they are buying the rest of their property portfolio from, from Liberty, um, who actually owned the property portfolio to begin with. But we're looking at some really high-quality retail assets that are difficult to replace, like Sandton City, Eastgate, and even a slice of, of Mauro's Arch. But this company trades at a 20% discount to its NAV, and that's its net, net asset value. So, I mean, at the moment, the share, the share is worth less than its assets combined. And, I mean, if we, if we look at distribution growth, we're not expecting much this year because they're changing that complicated structure. But they're about to add some, some debt to their capital structure, and, and if we should see an improvement in distribution growth uh, going forward. And, I mean, for now, it still also offers an attractive forward yield of, of 8%. My thanks to you, Chantal Marks, the head of research at F&B Wealth and Investments on The Money Show this evening. Uh, Chantal Marks with three companies for you to consider investing in. We saw Bidvest bounce nicely today. Um, it's on the list. AVI and Liberty Two Degrees is on that list as well. The Money Show on your number one news and talk station. Coming up in the next hour here on The Money Show, two people have been writing books recently. We're going to talk to the author of a brand new book on how to manage property effectively. If you want to become a landlord, you are a landlord, and you wonder how on earth you always get tied up in knots by your tenants who seem to be five steps ahead of you. Chances are it's because you weren't particularly organized in the first place. A guy called David Beatty, who is the founder and director of Chorus Letting, he's going to join us about his book. It's our business book tonight. And Auntie Kate's written a book as well. She's written a brand new book all about her life, and it makes you blush. But she's going to talk about money this evening. I'll turn to make her blush just a bit on The Money Show. The Money Show with Bruce Whitfield on 702, your number one news and talk station. Welcome to The Money Show on this Monday night. The Money Show is brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. Welcome to The Money Show this evening. I see the Transport Minister Blade in Zimande has decided that he will not 
B, appointing the former SAA chair Dudumieni as a special advisor. His predecessor, Joe Masonganyi, said that he was going to appoint Dudumieni and Dudumieni would report directly to him and then uh, SAA would be moved to the Department of Transport and he needed an aviation expert. And as we know, as chair of SAA, Dudumieni would have built up many hours of expertise in aviation. Well, um, the current Minister of Transport doesn't seem to agree with his predecessor doesn't seem to see the need to have that expert in uh, in aviation in his uh, in his close quarters and so he says he has no intention to retain Dudumieni in his office which is an interesting new development as we uh, follow the huge cleanup that's happening within state-owned enterprises many of them of course significantly loss-making state-owned enterprises the money show on 702 your number one news and talk station Sign off Africa retail bending over backwards to create at least a perception that there's no connection or there won't be a connection in future between it and its 77% shareholder Steinoff. But there's the problem. Steinoff owns 77% of Steinoff Africa retail. And uh, yeah, Steinoff is a terrible stain on the image of the executives who work in uh, Steinoff Africa retail, so much so that they changed the name back to Pepcord. We heard that story last night. Great pleasure to welcome to The Money Show, Jandra Naidu, who's the chairman of Steinoff Africa retail. He's on the line to us from Johannesburg this evening. Have you found a way to exorcise that shareholding, that 77% umbilical cord to the mothership, Jandra? Uh, good evening, Bruce. Well, you know, firstly, uh, a first step has been taken by Steinoff selling some shares. So actually, they're now down to the uh, much-reduced shareholding of 71%. Oh, makes all the difference in the world. I get you. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a process. It's a process, and you know, it's not that one can deny uh, the role of Steinoff in putting together this uh, business, but this business... And all the assets in it, Pep, uh, Ackermans, JD Group, and the uh, speciality brands, including uh, Techie Town and John Craig and so on, that uh, the bulk of these brands were in uh, Pepco, uh, which, which at that stage had South African brands as well as uh, European brands like Pepco. And uh, that is really the heart of what uh, seems to be the... Uh, the good business in, in Steinoff, and most of it is now in, uh, in Star. So in keeping with the trajectory, and as we've been cleaning up lots of things that uh, have come under the table since December 5th, you know, it was time to, uh, to rename the business and look to the future. And so Pepco is the name yeah. with great history, and we were very comfortable, and the board... Uh, including the directors who are cross-directors of Steinoff, all unanimously supported that. Those cross-directorships, those remain while the ownership structure remains the way it is. Is there a plan by Steinoff, and you would know this because their directors sit on your board, um, is there a plan to to um, get rid of all of their Steinoff Africa shares to cut you loose? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, when we are sitting in the board, we talk about uh, matters related to Star. And we're not privy to any any uh, Steinoff uh, matters other than what they uh, disclose in, in the public. We do understand that there are discussions ongoing between the Steinoff uh, board, management board and supervisory board and, and the creditors. 
of, of Steinoff, and it's inevitable that there would be some uh, disposals. But at this time, I have no uh, specific knowledge of any specific plan. They don't tell you anything. I mean, you were on that Steinoff uh, board, that supervisory board, until January yourself, just the other day. Exactly. I was there for three board uh, meetings, during which time no financial statements were were produced, and then mm-hmm. I got off the board in January. Did you run screaming? What, what, were the, what, were, what were the circumstances of your departure? Did you just look at this and say, I don't want to be associated with that and run screaming out of the room? No, no. It, uh, one, one has to be, uh, you know, responsible when the board, uh, when the company one is on the board of gets into into uh, difficulties. But being the chairman of uh, of Star, uh, which I took on from September last year, it was quite obvious that uh, uh, the path of Star and all its minority shareholders and the path of Steinoff would not be. Uh, fully aligned and one had to play one or the other role mm. and I um, uh, chose to go with Star. Do you or any other entities associated with you have any shares in Steinoff? Is it just Lancaster 101, your vehicle, the one that's controlled by you that owns 9% of Star? Is that the only financial interest you have here? Yes. Uh, I'm not sure I fully got the question but Lancaster 101 owns uh, just under 9% of Star. And also still retain some of its Steinoff uh, shares that we acquired in 2016. Okay, so you do have a stake in Steinoff as well. Are, are, do you find yourself conflicted at all when it comes to dealing with Steinoff and uh, versus Steinoff Africa Retail? No, I got a very small uh, shareholding of uh, uh, Steinoff, a big shareholding in Star, and you know, obviously, like everybody else, the value of one Steinoff shares are. Much less material now. No, exactly. I was going to be unkind and say nobody's got a big shareholding in Steinoff anymore. <laughs> they used they used to be I huge. It, it's, yeah. it's no it's no laughing matter. Um, just what do you make last week of the allegations made by the Techie Town founder Brown van Hastien, who says your board has forced him out of his job of chairman of properties. He feels hard done by. He feels screwed over, stabbed in the back, whatever terminology you choose to use. Um, he was in studio with us last week. Says he's yeah. he's been given a rough ride. Well, and it's hard to give Brahma a rough ride. He's a big, uh, tough guy. I've got to uh, know him since I met him last year. Um, the only contract Brahm and Star had, despite you know, other things that he says in the media, is uh, his employment contract, which he terminated. And uh, you know, whatever reasons he gives for that, it was his decision to terminate his uh, employment contract. And... Uh, I'm sure that there are multiple views, you know, from different people about all the reasons that he's giving uh, in the media. But I don't want to get into a media debate. Uh, neither does uh, Star as a company want to get into a media de- debate with Brown. You know, I, I recognize he's a, an entrepreneur. He's done well. He's founded Techie Town. And uh, you know, I appreciate that he's also interested to recoup as much of his losses in, 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 in Steinoff, you know. Um, so I'm not quite sure what his agenda is with the bombs that he's throwing at the uh, star. But, uh, you know, really, 
his resignation was his own choice, and uh, there's no claims that we feel that he would have uh, any circumstances on uh, on star. So I, he, he, he did I hope we'll soon get yeah. past this, you know? Sure. I mean, he, he delivered summons today. You say in your, in, on the Stock Exchange news service that, and, and it's yes. traditional the way companies respond to these things. Ah, no, the allegations are spurious. They won't stick. No. I mean, well, he's claiming an earn out, which is a result of the transaction with the... Uh, Sign off that uh, that he did, and you know we'll we'll see if there is a contract. It does not appear that there is a contract of that nature. So, uh, so you suggest that he might have relied. Star is concerned. We've got no contract like that at all. So he may have relied on the word of Marcus Uyster. In other words, his good buddy from the racetrack to say, "Yeah, of course you can have a job. Of course, here we go. Here we go. Here we go." And he took Marcus at his word. Marcus, of course, no longer there. And there yeah. may not there may not be the paperwork you argue to to support his allegations. He um I mean, Techie Town sits within Steinhoff Africa Retail. Um, yeah. Bram van Hastien wants Techie Town back out of Steinhoff mm. Africa Retail. He was paid for that with Steinhoff shares. Mm. Um, you've got a responsibility, I suppose, to Steinhoff Africa Retail shareholders to mm. do what's in their interests, and that is to yeah. hold on to Techie Town, which was legally bought, I assume, yes. um, it, but with standoff shares, what, two or three years ago? You sound like our lawyer, Bruce. I mean, no, no, I'm just, I'm trying to piece it together. I'm, I'm trying to piece <laughs> this together. Um, he, he's arguing a case that he's got a claim against yeah. you when actually the deal was with Steinhoff. Yeah. It, it strikes me as Correct. quite a complicated, it's quite, it's quite a, it's a fraught and emotional battle on his part, and I'm trying to get to yeah. some kind of truth on this. No, I 100% uh, agree with you, and I think you've, you've got the, the issue. You know, Star owns uh, Tiki Town. Tiki Town is doing well for Star. And, uh, you know, the fact that uh, it was bought by Steinhoff from uh, Brahm and others, you know, it's history. It was then sold by Steinhoff to Star, you know, and we paid, uh, you know, good money for it. So it's, you know, it's an asset that's here. But you, but and, you do uh, have a problem if he proves that he got screwed over by the board of Steinhoff Africa Retail, though. Well, why would he be screwed over by the board of Steinhoff Africa Retail? I don't believe there's any uh, any basis for that uh, at all. I mean, how much of? I mean, he claims that board meetings, the first board meeting that he went to um, mm. after this whole fiasco, that you know, seventy percent of the board meeting was all about executive remuneration and ensuring that uh, the guys in the room were getting their, their 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 fair shake and that all the documents were in place before the business of the company was discussed. It, it suggests a bit of a grabby culture within Steinhoff Africa Retail. Is that fair? No, not at all. You know, the management of Steinhoff uh, Africa Retail. Uh, I can say that uh, I really believe they are dedicated to getting the best deals for their customers and they really are customer-focused, you know. So that's a company that that has uh, an awesome uh, culture of delivering uh, value. And it's shown over all the years, decades, you know, the high growth that it's had, the revenue, the market share that it's grown. Uh, you know, Brahm is an entrepreneur. I understand him well. You know, I've also uh, become an entrepreneur in the last uh, 20 years, nearly 20 years. You know, sometimes some of the institutional and corporate side can can um, you know leave you a little bit uh, bored in a meeting when you put lots of detail and admin stuff. But uh, I really don't think that that could. Be a source of uh, frustration, but whatever the issues are, 
you know, uh, we will we will uh, no doubt uh, have to deal with them as a factual matter. You know, uh, what was the real issues, and uh, I don't believe there's any grounds for Bram to have uh, terminated his contract. And uh, we'll, we'll 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 see how that uh, matter plays itself out. You know. Jandra Naidu, thanks for coming on tonight. The chairman of Steinhoff Africa Retail, Jandra Naidu, on the line to us from Johannesburg tonight. The Money Show. Business books. Different kind of business book tonight, and it's a fabulous book, a very detailed book called The Expert Landlord, Practical Tips for South African Landlords to Help You. It's written by a guy who runs his own uh, letting company called Chorus Letting. His name is David Beatty, and Warren Ingram's even written a little blurby on the front. So he says, a small investment in this wonderful guide can lead to a far larger return over time, and that's a guy who doesn't like residential property. So I think you, I don't know what you did to Warren Ingram, David Beatty, but you certainly, you got him to say something nice about your book. I spent some time over the weekend going through it. Um, you, you're giving away all your secrets. Yeah, I think there's a great need uh, in the country for good property management. I'm not sure you're aware that more than 50% of landlords, in fact, some say as close to 70% of landlords, don't use a rental agent when they manage their property. And everybody thinks that they're an expert at this. And, I mean, uh, anybody who's ever dealt with a, a DIY landlord knows that mm. can be a, a patchy experience at best, and I, I love the way in which you break it up, and you and you you state the bleeding obvious, but it's important to see it written in black and white in terms of the processes that people follow. And you you start off with two case studies: uh, one with a guy who inherits a property, I think, in Randburg somewhere, and he lives in four ways, and he's got a cottage in his backyard, and he does everything wrong, and it goes pear shaped. And then there's the A-type uh, landlady who does everything right, and yes. it is about process, and it is about the work you put in to the returns ultimately, I suppose, that you get. Out of a rental property. Absolutely, Bruce. Um, you know, the, the typical bright side story of, you know, the, the errant tenant that ruins your property, uh, that, that need not be the, the, the norm. That, that really should be the exception. Um, it should be. And a lot of people get burned by tenants and a lot of tenants get burned by landlords. Is our legal framework, which way is it sort of, which, which way is it, um, who does it favor when one gets a sense that it's very much in favor of the tenant? And a lot of people have been put off managing properties because they feel that it's very difficult to get rid of errant tenants. Uh, yeah, you're 100% correct. I think it is uh, weighted towards a tenant. But if a landlord um, manages their property expertly, then they will find that the weightiness comes uh, rather onto back onto their side. Uh, it's just normal uh, being fair to, to, to your customer, the tenant. And if that's the case, well, then typically uh, it can go very smoothly. Okay. Well, what happens if you get a tenant who hasn't paid you for three months and is remove, refusing to move out? Um, it's just a question of following your procedure. First of all, you shouldn't be um, acting only after three months. Uh, very much after the, you know, the first few days on the first month, you should be uh, starting your debt collection procedures. And then if the tenant's not paying by, uh, you know, within a 20 days notice period of, of breach, then you should be uh, commencing eviction proceedings. Uh, but that eviction proceeding requires you, it certainly did require you to go to the high court, which requires an advocate and which requires court time and requires many thousands of rand? Uh, technically, yes, but uh, if you're negotiating properly with your tenant, very seldom should uh, a, a bad situation end up in eviction. 
<laughs> yeah, but I mean, it does happen. Unfortunately, it does. It, it, they, unfortunately, they sit tight. unfortunately, it does happen. Uh, you're very, very, very correct, and and um, it is very unfortunate. In in those circumstances, I highly recommend that the landlord acts swiftly and gets through the pain as soon as possible, because this really does come to an end. If I can just add, Bruce. Um, I can also contend that prevention is better than cure. <laughs> I was going to go there now. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and you talk a lot about the preparation involved, and I was just looking at your, your step-by-step process in terms of how you vet your tenants and how you go through the process and how you ensure there there is an art to extracting the very best tenants in a market. Yes, absolutely. And bearing in mind is that it is tough for tenants out there. It's tough for everyone uh, economically, and um, you need to do your your screening very carefully to make sure you appoint the right person. What is your right to somebody's deposit? Somebody pays you a deposit when they move in. Hopefully they do that because otherwise you've been a twit for not taking a deposit. Absolutely. Um, It comes to the end of a lease and it is day 31 and suddenly the carpets have got, I don't know, something disgusting. Uh, Cats, wee, um, all over them. That's a fairly common one, I would assume. Yes. Um, It really comes down to the the ingoing inspection that you as a landlord should be conducting. And then on the outgoing inspection, you compare the the, the ingoing with the outgoing inspection. And if there's a differentiation between the two, you, um, you deduct the damages from the deposit on hand. Yeah, but your ingoing inspection can't detail the smell. You see, you can do photographs. That's why I chose it something disgusting. Uh, yeah, um, I mean, that, that, that would be shown in the inspection from the point of view that you, you're not noting a smell. If it is a smell, okay. you'll be noting it in your uh, ingoing inspection. Oh, you, you see, you've thought of everything. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when we, we, we look at the, the possibility of making money out of residential property, there are so many costs associated with it you you know you own this property maybe if you're lucky you inherit a property that you don't have to that you don't have to pay the transfer duties on and you don't have to pay all of these things on but it's you know one gets a sense that in many cases running a, a property portfolio unless you follow the rule book as you've laid out in the expert landlord is a bit of a mugs game in terms of getting a return especially in a, a low growth property environment like we've had in many parts of the country for quite a while now yeah i, th- I think the property in- the investment process is is made up of many Parts. It's how you buy the property. Uh, it's uh, it's in what location you purchase it in. Uh, are you going for cash flow? Are you going for asset growth uh, and so forth? I, w- I would contend though that property management is is really the secret to your long term success. And in a ten to twenty year process, you're always going to win in property. But not if you if you're silly about your property management and if you're not going to be serious about it. I would highly recommend that you rather put your money in say uh, pr- property shares or, or something like that. Mm. I mean, how much time? does one need to dedicate to the effective management of a property? I see you don't, I mean, you, you give us lots of work to do <laughs> in your book, but it does, is it a, a five-hour-a-month occupation? Is it a 10-hour-a-month occupation per property? What, what, what's your sense? If you, if you place a good tenant and you do the hard work up front, well, then it need not take more than half an hour a month or 20 minutes a month, if you if you uh, place a terrible tenant, it's going to cost you a lot more time. But also something like riding a bicycle, you get a lot more efficient at it over time. And it shouldn't, we've got many landlords that, that takes very little uh, period of their time. You talk also extensively about the responsibility, not only of the tenants, but of the landlord and yes. the landlord-tenant relationship and making your life easier by just being fair and being reasonable and not putting mm. onerous terms into contracts and stupid terms. We've all yes. seen those rental contracts which just look like they've been written by the worst 
gym teacher you had at school for the most <laughs> reluctant gym pupil at school. Yes. I mean, it's just patronising and awful. No, I um, think, yeah, absolutely. Um, so so how, do you, how do you get around, how do you ensure um, a great relationship? Well, um, I think, first of all, 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 you know, all of us are human beings. Tenants are human beings. And we need to, how do I like to be treated? And that's the way we should be treating our tenants, first of all. Um, and, and second of all, um, we've got to treat our tes- uh, tenant as a, as a customer. And uh, if we do that, we're going to get better performance from them. So I have an ethical and a moral reason for wanting to treat our tenants and give them proper homes. But at the end of the day, it's good business sense to provide a good customer service to our tenants. And, and, and that, that, that covers a whole lot of things, such as having a fair contract, you know, being responsive to your tenant, treating them with respect and so forth. And nobody's scared to spend a little bit of money. I mean, you, yeah. uh, there, there, are, there are very good contracts available online. There are very good agreements online. There are resources which when a tenant is a day or two late with their rent, you can trigger an automatic uh, letter that says, Dear Tenant, yes. I'm sure you've had a tough month, but yeah. so am I. Yes. Please pay. Yes. That, that sort of stuff. But that costs a little bit of money. And often you find people saying, oh, I'm not going to spend two or three grand now. I'm sure they'll pay me next month. Mm. And by which time you, you're underwater for you know, two months of rent rather than one. Absolutely. Uh, early, uh, early deliberate action is, is, what, is what is really important. David Beatty, thank you, the founder and director of Chorus Letting. In a moment, Kate Turkington. She's written a brand new book called Yes, Really. <laughs> you read it, you go, never. And then you look at the cover, it goes, yes, really. And that's, this is her life. And I woke up especially early this morning to read Auntie Kate's book. Uh, I was blushing for half of it um, and then laughing for the other half. I can't wait to talk to her. Make Money Mondays coming up next. The Money Show. Make Money Mondays. That could happen on this feature this evening. Make Money Monday is brought to you by Sunlum Private Wealth. Your wealth, our craft. My guest this evening is Kate Turkington. Now, I woke up especially early this morning to devour a huge chunk of Kate Turkington's marvellous autobiography. It's a bit like listening, <laughs> Kate, to an audio book. Because, oh, you've got a cold. No, I haven't. I'm just oh, okay. sitting thinking about you and how I knew you when you were a slip of a boy and how when your first baby was born and all those years and coming here into the studios every every Sunday night for 20 years, for believe it or not, to Kiso Lafifi sitting the other side of the window. (laughs) Oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. It's like coming home. Nostalgia attack. It is, exactly. (laughs) Um, But but you will remember, Kate, for many, many years of presenting Believe It or Not, and Believe It or Not, it was 20 years. And on a Sunday night, and she spoke to an extraordinary array of believers, disbelievers, crackpots, cynics, mad people about what makes him tick, and I think she loved every minute of it. But I've learned so much about you. Some of it which made me blush, um, some of it which made my jaw drop, Good. and some of it which I was quite jealous of your life, Kate Turkington. <laughs> well, a committed traveller, travel writer. After all of these years, you're still gallivanting around the globe like a, like a crazy person. I'm still gallivanting around the world. I'm still working, uh, which is wonderful, you know, at my tender age. But you know, Bruce, the, the book, because you say one of the reviews I really do like says brave and boisterous, shocking and sexy, which, Ooh, um, which, which, which I quite like. But I've been asked so often, why did I write this book? And as you know, I've written quite a lot of academic ones and I've written two previous sort of 
general public ones. And it was because I was going to, and I don't keep things. I'm not a hoarder. I'm not a hoarder at all. But I came across some love letters. And oh. I'll tell you very, st- very st- quickly. St- stuck, in, stuck in your second husband, Alan's military No, these bag. weren't, they, these weren't love letters from the husbands. These Ooh. were love letters from lovers. <laughs> and one of them, you know, it's written on that thin blue airmail paper. You remember that? Even I you, do. you're young enough to remember the, the or old enough to remember the thin blue airmail paper. And it starts, my darling Kate, I can't live without you. I can't sleep, da, da, da. And it goes on like this for three anguished pages. And it finally ends up, I can't live without you. I'm going to take you away from Alan. We're going to run away together and live happily ever after yours, Alex. I have no idea who Alex is. <laughs> Alex, None if you're what's Alex, if and, you're if, and if some old guy in a Zimmer frame limps up to the doors of 702, I'm not in. I'm not in. <laughs> but I mean, and that's the. I mean, the marvel of your life is that it has been wildly varied. Some yes. of it's wild. It certainly hasn't been dull. The only references you ever make to money is when you're younger and you have none of it. Well, I still don't have any. Um, well done. Probably that's a, that. You know what? I'm going to be all cheesebook, uh, cheesy Facebook now. Um, I don't have any money. I have a roof over my head. I have a house. I have a car. I have two rescue Jack Russells. I have a pension and what I earn. Now comes, wait for it, now comes the tissues and the Facebook cheesy bit. Quickie, my violin, riches. Violin, violin, no, no, music. you've got to wait. Violin. You've got to wait. I've been violin. building up to this. Oh, sorry, I've been sorry. building up to this. My riches are my family and my friends. Oh. Oh. Come on, one, oh. two, three. Uh, no, we don't, uh, uh, no, but it is true, and you've got you, you're as proud as Punch about your uh, about your kids from two different marriages and all of your grandkids. I think they're nine grandkids. Your eldest granddaughter is named after your late sister Rita. You see, I've been paying attention. You you have good, and there is one. You know, people have. I haven't been trolled so far on social media because there is some really quite shocking things. Uh, and they're shocking in the perhaps the public image people have of me and the things that happen to me in my life don't always meet, don't always come together. But I haven't yet been trolled. And if you're listening, please don't start uh, <laughs> trolling me because I will uh, just ignore you. But, you know... I'm so lucky, Bruce, because all four children and all nine children, grandchildren, live in Johannesburg. And you know, I don't believe in past lives, I don't believe in future lives, but this is Irish. Had I had a past life, I must have done something right. That's the only thing I can think of. Certainly in your past life, you must have done something right. And I must tell you, one of of my uh, teenage grandsons said to me recently, we were chatting, you know, it's just a great thing. You've got this before you. Uh, You can't tell your children stuff because they don't listen to you. But grandchildren you can give advice to, they listen to you. You tell them to get rid of this girlfriend or keep this one. (laughs) Matthew, keep Lexi, she's wonderful. Um, 
But one of the grandsons said to me, um, how grey are you, Granny? So I said, well, um, I go to the hairdresser every six weeks, so I don't find out, but my eyebrows and my pubic hair are still black. So there you go. <laughs> so that's probably going around the boarding house of a very exclusive school in... in well, won't say the name. Oh, in Johannesburg, as we speak. I think you've just done it. I think you've just, you've just revealed all... Oh, my word. Oh, my word. No, no, okay. I mean, mum and dad didn't have buckets of money. Mum and dad no, looked after you. Mum and dad, you were born in the war. You were sent off on trains. I mean, I I didn't realise that during the Blitz. I mean, that entire yeah. evacuation of children happened in four days. It was an extraordinary incredible. logistical exercise. You know, the, the British government who rarely can manage their way out of a, <laughs> a paper bag. They did manage Dunkirk, and they did manage in four days to send a million on half children out of London to the countryside. We didn't know where we were going. Our parents didn't know where we were going. Yeah. Uh, the people who were receiving us didn't know who they were going to get. And I said to my mother afterwards, how could you have done that? I was four. My sister was six. She said, you know, there were dropping leaflets from the skies. The Nazis are coming. You're going to be raped and pillaged. And London is going to be bombed, oh. which it was. Um, and we had to do it. And, and I think you, you're a parent, parents, grandparents, and we would all do it because we'd be thinking of the safety of our children. It was a fraught experience, but one that stood you in good stead ultimately. You went um, and studied in London. You, 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 the travel bug bit early. Um, and then you, you end up going to Nigeria as a young woman well. um, <laughs> and, 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 and sort of living this expat lifestyle for, for many years. Aha, but, 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 before I lived the expat lifestyle, first of all, my husband husband had just come down from Oxford. He was 22. I was 20. I still had a year of university to finish. So, so we decided I should stay behind in England and finish. The first job offer he got was in Nigeria. We didn't even know where Nigeria was. We had to look it up on the map. But this is where money comes into it. He was offered a £60 kit allowance. Now, <laughs> if you go back 60-odd years, £60 to students who'd been scraping a living and living on scholarships and grants was a fortune. And the very first place I went to in Nigeria was a tiny village by a leper colony. I used to weigh my son on the leper colony scales when he was six weeks old with pennies. There were a couple of missionaries there, a doctor, a uh, hundred miles away, the medical missionaries of Mary, where I had my uh, first uh, baby. Nobody spoke English. I didn't spoke Igbo. I didn't speak Igbo. But my very best friend was the sixth wife of an Igbo trader. And we used to sit... <laughs> I don't know how we passed the hours watching crocodiles go by and the cross river, watching the occasional dead body uh, float by. It wasn't an expat life to begin with, Bruce. It was tough. No running water, no electricity. Mm. But I survived. I survived. And my son survived and three subsequent children survived. survived. Two born in Nigeria, one born in Ireland, one born in South Africa. 
I'm sorry, madam, but this is a female child. <laughs> yes, yes. Of, the, of, 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 your, of your midwife. My... Um, I'm, talk, I'm talking to Kate Turkington. Kate Turkington, you'll remember her as the host of Believe It or Not. She's written a fabulous book about her life. We will get on to money. We will, I promise. Um, <laughs> and um, she went from Nigeria. She went off to Northern Ireland where she was very famous. She wore a miniskirt in television. Um, and she was called, the show was called Kate at Eight. Um, and, and she was there and then looked at up on the map again and ended up in South Africa. Ended up teaching at Wits University. Ended up producing SABC TV series Moving On. Ended up hosting a TV show on SABC and she worked with Martin Locke and Dorian Berry and yes, Barry yes, Ronga. Yes. Um, Bill Forer was the, the director of the series. The legendary, late, great Bill Forer. Brilliant and director. Had, never had the privilege of meeting him. But Kate Turkington, who's waltzed at dawn with Chinese dance instructors in Beijing. <laughs> she's, uh, she's dined with comrades in Cuba. She's met and interviewed the Dalai Lama. She's been to Everest Base Camp. She's been to the Galapagos Islands. She's, oh, she's been everywhere. We're going to talk more about money. We've got to focus on money, Kate. That's the rule. Okay. Okay. Money. Ask me some you, questions about money then. Yeah, but I'm interested in what you have to say as well. But I will focus, and that will make you focus. Kate Turkington on Make Money Mondays. The Money Show is brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. The Money Show. Make Money Mondays. Kate Turkington is my guest this evening. We're talking about money. You, you don't obsess about money at oh, all. You, you, not you're very happy to have quite a, a frugal, quite a frugal life. No, I, I I drink good whiskey, good coffee, and good wine. Uh, All at the same that's the and I feed my dogs. Uh, well, and now, you know what, Bruce, of all the people I've ever interviewed, you talked about some of them, from the Beatles to the Dalai Lama to heads of state to royalty to... I've even seen the Queen's knickers, but that's not for this show. OK. <laughs> um, I've, I've, I've often been asked of all the people who I ever interviewed, who do I remember best? And Kisa Lafifi, the producer listening to this, will remember. We interviewed an Anglican chaplain from Port Elizabeth. And I'm sorry, I don't even remember his name. But he said, he counselled dying people. And he said the saddest thing he ever heard was the number of people who, as they died, said, I wish I'd done more with my life. I'm not going to be one of those people who die saying (laughs) what if or if only. So uh, my advice is don't leave your money to your kids. Spend it all. (laughs) Go and do something or, or... or, or live a holistic life, volunteer for something if you are retired, uh, for example. Don't just save up and think at the end of, you know, when you retire you're going to travel because you might well drop down dead. Um, I, my, my philosophy, Bruce, and I'm not in anything, you know that. I'm not shackled to any faith, any religion whatsoever. But I do like the Buddhist philosophy. Mm. And this is 5,000 years now in three centuries. Sentences. The past has gone. You learn from it, but it's gone. The future never comes. Carpe diem. Seize the day. Do your best. Live 
in the moment, which is I'm sure what financial advisors don't advise, but no, it's worked don't. for me. They don't understand. They don't understand. They really don't. It's um, worked for me. <laughs> it has. And, and, and your life is rich and it's a, a really rich tapestry of so many different uh, stimuli and experiences. Incredible. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, and your your daughters are—I know your daughters. They they're doing very well in business. They 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 are uh, they're they're very accomplished in 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 what they do. Um, and your your family—you don't sort of many families sort of feel the obligation. Many parents feel the obligation to ensure that their children are looked after. <gasps> you don't have that, no 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 that no concern. no 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 advice to parents grandparents. Okay, Turkington advice, uh, <laughs> and you can follow it. You cannot follow it. It's entirely up to your choice. You give your children the best education you can afford, whatever that that may be. My father was a welder. He earned five pounds a week. My mother was a dressmaker. They scrimped and saved to save my sister and I to uh, private school. Now there's a whole dynasty of graduates and, and educated people. So you give your children the best education you can. You love them as much as you can, then they're on their own. They must be on their own. How often have you seen these families where daughter gets a BMW at 16, son goes into daddy's business when all he wants to do is do a drama degree? No, Mm -hmm. teach your children to do what they want to do and what they're good at. And you know, Bruce, I also have a problem with these slogans you see. You can be whatever you want to be. Rubbish. If you can't <laughs> sing, you're not going to win idols, for God's sake. Um, so everybody has a Everybody has a talent. In all my teaching years, whether yeah. I was teaching in West Africa, teaching here at Vitz, I never met somebody who wasn't good at something. There is a talent in everybody and it must be nurtured and it must be fostered. And don't want your son to be a doctor or your daughter to be a lawyer. It's fine if they are, it's wonderful. But if they want to go off and be a hairdresser or a welder or they want to sing idols, let them do it and don't give them money. (laughs) <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm sorry. When I, when uh, when I see my kids uh, uh, in the morning when they wake up and say, yeah. "Don't be sorry, children." Auntie Kate says, "No, buddy. He has a, he has a phone number. Complain to her." Uh, <laughs> oh, you're going to be in so much. You're going to be in so much trouble. You, now, know, you, you know something. If if you have, I have enough to get by on. Okay. Um, if you have no money, it's incredibly liberating. You know, when Steinhoff collapsed, I didn't give a damn. And I'm <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. I know there are people who, who lost money. You've only got one pair of feet. You've only got one body. There's only so much you can do. This is total counter-revolutionary, I'm sure, but I know you're a free spirit because I knew you and you're still very young by my standards. You're a free, 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 free spirit too and nurture those free spirits wherever you find them. It's such good guidance, Auntie Kate. I'm so glad you came on this evening. Uh, my guest is Kate Turkington. She has lived an incredible life, which if you want to see it um, described in full detail, her book is called Yes, Really, um, and it is a book where you will read really, and you then turn to the company and go, Yes, really. Um, it's about her life, and she chose to write the book when she got uh, when she picked up an old love letter which poured out his love for her, his <laughs> adoration for her, and he couldn't remember who. What's his name? 
Alex, but I have Alex. no... Obviously, he made no Alex? impact on me whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> None whatsoever. But, I mean, there's lots of other things. You know, people ask me about growing old. Are there good things about growing old? Oh, yes, there are great things about growing old. First of all, when you're young, you want everybody to like you and you want to make a good impression. When you're old, you don't give a, you know what, a, a damn. damn. You're a damn. very confident with who you are, what you are. You know what you're good at. You're not frightened to say what you're good at. You also know what you're bad at. And you're also not frightened to to say that. So so it's a good place to a good place to be. I'm not counting some of the aches and pains and of course, uh, of course. and whatever. Mind you, I walk my dogs every morning. I was in every space camp only a few uh, years ago. And age is a mind thing too. I spoke to and I hope she's not listening but she won't know who it was. <laughs> I was down in the Cape uh, doing some stuff for the book a while ago and a lady came up to me afterwards, dripping with diamonds, not mink because you don't do mink anymore, dripping with diamonds and whatever, and she said her husband died two years ago. She cries every day. She's very wealthy. She doesn't know what to do with her life. She's so miserable. And yeah. I, I, felt, I've, I felt quite cross. I felt like saying, get a grip. For goodness sake, get a, get a grip, go and do something. I have yeah. a wonderful friend who in her early 60s um, goes and works as either a carer in the UK or she au pairs somewhere and she earns enough money in Europe because Europeans, Americans love South Africans. She goes off, she works, she earns some money, she comes back, she lives in the best country in the world, i.e. South Africa, for six months and she gets on with her life, you know, deal with it. And also, Bruce, somebody asked me, because there is a big, big shock horror in the book, somebody asked me about forgiveness. And I said, I don't think forgiveness comes into anything. Who are we to forgive? What you do is you accept. So if something bad happens to you, deal with it, move on. It isn't easy. You know, we've all been there. There's not a single person listening to this programme who hasn't had something bad happen to them. You know that. We all know that. Deal with it. Deal with it. Move on. Do you ever regret not focusing on money when you sit at the traffic lights and somebody with a top-down Lamborghini comes and revs their engine next to you? Do you ever say, ooh, I wish I'd had a Oh, how incredibly vulgar. (laughs) Oh, incredibly. I'm vulgar. sorry to have asked it. I'm sorry Bruce, to have asked Bruce, I'm not Forgive a things me. person. I, I don't have things. I don't have things. People can take things away from you. They can't take memories and experiences away from you. And that, finally, is what's, is what's going to uh, matter. And, yes, I do have a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of savings and I keep them in a tiny, weeny, weeny sock under my mattress. Oh, now you've told everybody. <laughs> Kate Turkington, such a joy to have you on The Money Show this evening and so nice to chat to you again. It's been a long time and I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying your book and it is jaw-dropping and it is good and it is heartwarming and it is happy and it is sad and it is all sorts of wonderful emotions. But that's, uh, uh, I suppose, the, the consequence of a life extraordinarily well-lived. 
Thank you. I, I will continue to live it. And I don't find Alex. Find somebody else, but don't find Alex. <laughs> <laughs> Kate Turkington, Make Money Monday special edition guest this evening. The Money Show is brought to you by Old Mutual, a licensed financial services provider. Today's the day. Get great financial advice. Do great things. Well, that's a wrap on The Money Show this evening. My producer, Tiki, saw Anthony Lefifi, um, used to be Kate's producer many years ago when he was much younger. Um, and so <laughs> what a joy to have Kate Turkington. If you haven't read her book, it really is worthwhile. If you like war stories and epic war stories and you don't mind blushing a little bit while you read about somebody's very personal details in their book, I mean, she's really turned it into a marvellous page turner. It's all one of those uh, uh, nights or early mornings when you wake up early and you're thinking about the world and you want, want to good distraction. It's fabulous. Um, it, it's very, very nice. Karin Duplessis, thank you. Um, this interview with Kate with Turkington is so uplifting. Most people at the end regret not having done with their lives. She says, I won't be one of those people. So you've inspired Kate Turkington, um, the tough political reporter Karin Duplessis. And that's a good thing. Hey, that's very good. That's very positive. Coming up on the, the next Money Show, of course, it's all of the big money stories of the day, and we will cover those in extensive detail. Our Africa Business Report, and of course, Nicholas Bauer, you know him from TV, and Michael Luptak, his partner, co-founders of Dalla and Jer, taking us on uh, an audio tour of Hillbrow and telling us about the amazing stuff that has happened as we experienced as a team the other day. I'm looking forward to chatting to them about that experience on the next Money Show. Till then, have a very good evening. Good night.